Kara Kowalczyk, and I'm a second-year pediatric resident, and with me today I have Dr. Jessica Canis, who's an emergency medicine physician at the Riley Hospital for Children. She's going to help us review fever as it pertains to the boards. The emergency medicine section accounts for 3% of the content on the boards. So Dr. Canis, I know there are different styles on how to work up a fever. What pearls do you have for us regarding these workups? Hi, Kara. Yeah, there's a lot of variability in fever, and different physicians have different ways to practice this. The first uh, age of fever we'll talk about is the neonates, the children, the little infants that come in 28 days or less with fever over 39.0 or 100.4. There isn't much in medicine that's black and white, but these are the kids that we know what to do every time without fail, and we do the same thing um, to make sure that they don't have a serious bacterial infection. Because they're so young, they don't have the, they don't do much. They don't tell us that they're sick. There isn't much that they can do to tell us what's going on. So we are more safe than sorry with them. These children, 28 days or less with fever, require a full septic workup. And by full septic workup, that's blood, urine, and CSF. So we'll send the blood cultures, urine cultures, do the LP. We also start empiric antibiotics. Uh, we'll start the antibiotics also. 28 days or less, you may want to do a chest x-ray if they've had cough or respiratory symptoms. If they have significant diarrhea, you may send stool cultures. And this age group is to consider HSV, PCRs, and acyclovir. If you're sending the HSV, make sure you start acyclovir. And uh, remember, just because mom doesn't have a history of herpes doesn't mean that she didn't have a primary effect infection when the baby was born and that the baby doesn't have HSV. So keep that in the back of your mind in this age group. The next group is a little less clear. It's the infants one to two months of age with fever. Um, still are able to not do as much, but they're more social. They smile, they track, so you have a better idea of what's going on with them. They do require some workup, typically a CBC blood culture, urine and urine culture, um, plus minus the LP, depending on presentation. Several studies have looked at trying to find criteria to kind of risk stratify these kids for um, Increased risk of serious bacterial infection, the Rochester criteria, and the Philadelphia criteria. Some people will err on doing a spinal tap and do the LP and observe inpatient, or they will see if there's good follow-up. They may send them to follow up their PMD um, the next day. The other thing to consider in these kids, too, if you're considering doing less, is make sure the so check the social history. Do they have transportation issues? Can they get into their primary care doctor the next day? If either of those are issues, you would rather keep, be safe than sorry, keep them in the hospital till their cultures are negative. The other point I would like to make is no antibiotics if you haven't done the lumbar puncture and gotten a CSF sample. Um, this will skew if the kid comes back still febrile, worsening, you've already pretreated. If you're worried enough to start antibiotics, in my opinion, um, CSF is kind of the way to go. And again, this is very dependent on um, providers and how the infant works. What antibiotics would you consider starting in this age group if you felt like they were sick enough to need antibiotics? So yeah, you can do AMP and cefotaxime. You also, because they've usually gotten through their period of hyperbilirubinemia, if you need to, you could do rocephin. Okay, definitely good to know. The next age group, after about three months of age, so at this point they've had hopefully some immunizations, um, but clinical judgment is going to be more of an important role, the three to 36 months of age. I would say I even stratify them, stratify them more clinically under six months, um, but really looking at this point um, at 
specific physical exam findings and historical features. So hopefully the history and the STEM will give you some clues to the diagnosis. The physical exam should give you an identifiable source. Um, a thorough physical exam checking for otitis, pharyngitis, any lesions like hand, foot, and mouth, or a clinical syndrome such as bronchiolitis. The question STEM should lead you down a specific path. The other thing to be aware of is the patient who's unimmunized or family members who are unimmunized. They are at a higher risk for serious bacterial infection. They haven't received the pneumococcal or haemophilus vaccines, and so they may have a higher risk of occult bacteremia. Considering a blood culture, CBC in those kids would probably be more appropriate um, in the unvaccinated kids. So I've seen temperatures measured in all sorts of ways. So which way is the right answer for the boards? So for the boards and in life, in a, in a neonate, you want a rectal temperature. That's the most accurate temperature way, most accurate way to measure the core body temperature. Um, you will see people that measure it axillary, orally, tympanic. All these are a little bit more variable, um, but making sure that they use the same type of measurement each time. So the range of body temperature can vary a bit by method of detection. Orally, uh, 35.5 to 37.5 is normal. Axillary, 36.5 to 37.5. And tympanic is a little bit more variable, 35.8 to 38. So a little bit different, rectally 36.6 to 38. So there's a little bit of variability based on how you measure it. Again, the point is to measure it the same way each time. And in those neonates, your rectal temperature is gonna be the most accurate. Neonates are more affected by bundling. Um, the other thing to mention too is that if they just ate a popsicle or drink something cold, measuring an oral temperature right after that is gonna skew the result. Uh, so just making sure that, there's, that they're taking it properly in the same way. I think this is a good point to mention fever phobia, because often when you see parents taking temperatures multiple different ways with multiple different thermometers, it's because they're freaking out. They're freaking out about fever. And, this is, and it's important to remind parents that fever phobia does exist. Fever itself won't hurt the, hurt the child, it just makes them feel bad. It's their body's immune response fighting the infection. So just reminding parents that this is a normal physiologic response. We will treat them to make them more comfortable but the fever itself won't hurt them. It's definitely something good to think about. Once the body reaches 41 degrees Celsius, some strange things can happen. What is the significance of such a high temperature? So when the temperature gets that high, over 41 degrees, you really need to think a little bit more about serious bacterial infections. You think more about um, a bacterial cause over a viral illness and look into your history and physical a little more deeply, as you would with every patient. Um, but really thinking about what else could be going on, especially if they don't, sense, don't have other symptoms. You may be more likely to send blood, urine, look for occult bacteremia, look for a UTI, um, a retropharyngeal abscess, a peritonsillar abscess, or you know, thinking more about an osteoaseptic joint, other bacterial causes that aren't as common, um, especially in older children. You may not do that, but when you see this temperature, think a little bit more about it. Also consider rare causes of high fever, so neurolep neuroleptic malignant syndrome, especially if they're on uh, antipsychotics, but you should see that in the question stem, or malignant hyperthermia. Again, should have a family history or be under anesthesia at that point. Hopefully if they give you something as rare as NMS or malignant hyperthermia, they will give you something in the stem to lead you down that route away from infection. Okay. And you mentioned uh, urinary tract infections. Is there any specific population that we should be extra concerned about for UTIs? I'm so glad you asked that, Kara. 
Urinary tract infections are something we consider a lot in the emergency department specifically. Whenever I have a little girl, especially under two or an uncircumcised male, when they have a high fever over 102.2 for greater than 48 hours without any other symptoms, I start thinking about checking a urinalysis. And I can't tell you how many times I've found something. Um, so it's good to think about, especially with the high fever and not a lot of symptoms, you're gonna go to a urinalysis pretty quickly. So speaking more about fevers, um, there's always fever of unknown origin. Um, are there other things to think about when you have a child with a fever of unknown origin? Yeah, FUO is more common than I like. It's always one of those, pa it's one of those patients that comes in with day five or six of fever with not a lot of symptoms. And this is when you really need to sit down, take your time and go through the history thoroughly. This is when you expand your social history, including travel, exposures, rare pets, um, exposure to people who are recently incarcerated, perhaps tuberculosis, travel out of the country, um, or other physical exam findings, knee swelling or pain. The other thing to think about with the FUO is could this be a presenting sign of a rheumatologic cause, such as JIA? Could this be how IBD presents? Usually we'll have other symptoms to go along with that fever, such as rash or joint pain with JIA, or you may have um, bloody stools or something else to lead you down IBD. So really looking for other clues in the question stem. I also wanna mention, don't forget about Kawasaki's. Again, you better have other symptoms or else it's not Kawasaki's. You need to have um, rash, extremity changes, oral mucosal changes such as a strawberry tongue, red eyes, and really in any kid five days or over with fever without a clear source, you need to be thinking about these things in them. Lastly, prolonged fever, especially an intermittent fever that just doesn't make sense, think about malignancy. Um, check a CBC, look for signs of joint pain or other issues, do a thorough uh, abdominal exam. So we already touched a little bit about antibiotics in the neonate. Um, in that population, we usually either use Ampergen or Ampencephotaxime. But can we also touch on what your recommendations to parents for supportive care and for antipyretics are? Yes, so the biggest thing parents wanna do, they wanna fix it. They wanna make their child feel better. And there's nothing more frustrating than a viral illness with really not much else that you can do. But to make them feel better, they can help. So antipyretics definitely help kids feel better. Um, Tylenol can be given every four hours, 15 mg per kg, as you all know, as good pediatric residents. Avoiding ibuprofen until they are six months of age or older, and also making sure if they're taking Motrin scheduled that they're drinking well to prevent um, renal injury. So giving them fluids, this is when it's okay to give them whatever they wanna drink. They can try Pedialyte if they're younger. If they're older and toddlers, I'm not gonna fight them on juice at this point. You wanna keep them hydrated. Um, throughout the illness and make them feel better. Because also with fever, you're gonna increase your insensible losses. Again, always, we know this, <clears throat> we avoid aspirin in all children to prevent the incidence of Rye syndrome, which again, I've never seen because I don't give kids aspirin. Thank you so much, Dr. Canis, for this review of um, fevers in the emergency department. As a pediatric resident, it's something I've definitely seen a lot of. Do you have anything else to add as we wrap up our discussion? I think the biggest take home point for you guys in taking the boards when it, as it pertains to fever is to look for clues in the history. There's gonna be something that they give you. If it's high fever, you may wanna do more. If it's the neonate, 28 days or less, full septic workup, just remember the big principles and look for those historical and physical clues. As you do in your clinical life, you're looking for a clue to the diagnosis and treatment. Look for those clues as well. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Canis. Good luck, guys. Yeah.